Welcome to the Everlast Podcast. We are a young adult ministry based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. For more information, please head to our church's website at cwccs.org. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, um, some of y'all know this. I think most of y'all probably don't because there's a lot of new faces in the room. Uh, But I am not a huge fan of cats. Uh, they freak me out. Uh, if you are a cat lover in the room, I, uh, yeah, I slightly judge you, uh, but it's all good because Jesus still, Jesus still loves you. So, um, here's the thing. There's a reason why I deeply despise, uh, cats. Uh, the reason for that, uh, is growing up my family, was just super kind-hearted. And so anytime there would be a stray cat in our neighborhood or whatever, my family would put out food for it and so on. Um, But the thing is, all those cats ended up being crazy. And the reason for that is they're wild cats, right? It's not like they have ever been owned by an owner. So they were nuts. And so there was uh, one cat in particular we named Cece. And... uh, What's funny is we didn't intend this at the time, but we ended up naming her Cece and calling her Crazy Cat. (laughs) And my family, not me, would feed her. And uh, they even got like a door for her in our garage to where she could come in and out of that garage door uh, when it was cold outside or if she was hungry or or whatever. And so this cat starts coming coming around like pretty regularly. And so my parents were like, you know what? It's time that I think we need to take her to the vet. Like I, need, I think we need to take her and make sure she's like not carrying anything, she's not pregnant, like she's good to go, get her shots, all, that, all, that, all those things. But Cece, like I said, was crazy, right? She's a little skittish. Uh, she would corner you, um, particularly me. And uh, I'm telling you, this cat, this cat was nuts. And so I went to school later that day. I come home and my mom's like, you're not gonna believe what happened. And I'm like, what? And she's like, we took Cece to the vet. She bit the veterinarian. He had to get stitches. And then we found out weeks later that this cat bit so hard right where his thumb was that he no longer and will no longer ever have feeling in his thumb. And I, (laughs) it's so good. I'm laughing not at the despise of the doctor, but like the ridiculousness of cats. Like I just, it just proves all the things. Amen. And I know all the cat people in the room are like, but my cat is awesome. And I'm like, every cat person says that. And so here's the thing. <laughs> it's so true. Here's the thing. I asked my mom, I said, hey, how did you get it to the vet in the first place? Like if this cat is crazy and bit the vet veterinarian, like how did you get it into the car to then get to the vet? And she said, well, we pulled out a few pieces of cheese. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And they lined up the cheese like ever so often into uh, this animal cage. And so they were tricking the cat. And so they put pieces of cheese out and this cat that Cece would slowly eat one piece of cheese. And then it would eat the next piece of cheese, right? They're luring the cat into being enticed by the cheese until eventually the cat gets all the way into the back of this cage and my mom quickly shuts the door as hard as she can and dude, the cat loses it, which I think is why it ended up biting the doctor in the first place. Like, what is happening, right? 
Uh, and so all that to say, I share this story, and the reason why I share the story is because tonight we are ending the Lord's Prayer with the topic of temptation. Temptation is all around us. No one is without temptation. Right? It affects every single person in the room. And how temptation works, and we're going to talk a little bit more on this in detail later, but it's that you see something that you want, you desire it, and it slowly lures you in. And if you continue to go after it, to, to be enticed by it, that that little piece of cheese, you eventually will succumb to it and find yourself trapped in a cage, trapped in sin, having a really hard time getting out. And so tonight, we're going to talk, to, talk through three main things regarding temptation. Three main things regarding temptation. What is temptation? And what does it mean regarding this specific passage of scripture, this verse? How does the enemy tempt us? And how are we to overcome temptation? Those are the three things you can leave here tonight knowing. And our prayer is that God would use these three things, these three questions to help and equip you in this earthly battle. And so just quickly, before we get started, to recap um, from the last few weeks, there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer in which the Lord teaches us how to pray, right? And we have gone through five of them. And Jesus starts off with pray then like this, our Father in heaven, which goes into petition number one, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, petition number two. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, petition number three. Give us this day our daily bread, petition number four. And forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, petition number five. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, petition number six. Which is our final petition and the one we are going to be breaking down tonight. Now, Matthew 6, 13 and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, sounds like a pretty straightforward prayer. But when we really dive into what this verse means, there are a few things for us to consider. And the reason for that is that word temptation can mean or be defined as a couple of different things throughout scripture. So answering our first question, what is temptation? I'm gonna give you two meanings that the Bible uses when it comes to that word temptation. Okay, so one meaning of temptation, the first one is referring to trials or testings. James 1 verses 2 through 3 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word trials, when you meet trials of various kinds, is the same Greek word as temptation. So, some commentators say, this means then, when we pray, lead us in, not into temptation, we are praying, God, don't lead us into trials. Don't lead us into testings. Don't lead me into tribulations or any form of suffering. Don't lead us ever into hardships. But if you notice that we just read in James, it says, consider it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That then when you're tested, your, your faith is strengthened. It, it remains unwavered. 1 Peter 1, 6, 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. 
You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. Everlast, God will lead you into hardships. He will test you. But listen, there is a difference between testing and tempting. God will test you, but he does not tempt you. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are not praying, God, please don't entice me to sin. God, please don't tempt me. Right? That, that is not what this means. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Right? God tempts no one. Uh, that is completely outside his character, the very nature of who he is. That is not God's character to present sin before us as an attraction and means to lure us in, right? God does not tempt us to sin. God will test you, but he does not tempt you. God tests you by means of bringing out the best in you. He wants to grow you. He wants to strengthen your faith. He wants to see if you will be obedient. He wants to see if you trust him. And not because he doesn't know your heart, but because he wants the Holy Spirit to reveal what's actually going on in your heart to you. And so what I'm getting at is this. I'm not saying that you can't pray, God, don't lead me into trials. Or if you're currently in a difficult circumstance tonight, that, that you can't pray, remove this trial, end the suffering. No, no, no. You, you most definitely can, and you should. Right? I continually pray and ask the Lord to remove some of my health issues. That, that is a good thing. But you should also know that God uses those means of trials and tribulations to show us his faithfulness and to bring about sanctification in our lives. To make us more holy. To test us and to reveal our faithfulness to him. Again, you can pray that. But... I don't think the context of this passage is necessarily instructing us to pray, God, don't ever, ever lead us into testing or trials because God does test us. But rather, we are praying, lead us not into temptation, as in God, keep us from sinning. Keep us from temptations that would cause me to sin, which leads more so into our second definition of temptation. Second definition of temptation that the Bible uses is temptation when it is referred to as an allure or an enticement of sin. Temptations is used here in a negative context, that, that we are being tempted and enticed to sin, whether that is from external temptations or internal temptations. Scripture says that we are tempted in two ways, external temptations and through internal temptations. External temptations are temptations outside of us, like Satan and his false promises in the world around us, right? If you're scrolling on social media and someone posts something or you see something that is not good, that is going to be an example of an external temptation. It's something outside of us that took place that might cause us to be tempted. Another great example of this is found in Genesis with Adam and Eve which pertains to the external temptation from the enemy and his schemes to try to get you to sin. God says, you can eat from any tree, any tree is yours, except 
from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis 3, Satan entices, lures, lies, and deceives Eve with his words, tempting her to eat from that tree and then give some to Adam. The enemy was tempting her to disobey God and therefore sin. Both examples are outside of us, external temptations. And then the other avenue in which we are tempted is through internal temptations. This is what we call the flesh. When it comes to this particular desire or temptation, we don't need a prompting from Satan or an external resource to entertain our sinful desires. These are things that are already going down in the heart. These are things we can come up with and create in our own mind. I don't need an outside source. I, I, can, I can think about things or, or act on them internally. It's going on within the heart. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's our fleshly desires that are within. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. As believers, there is a battle going on within us. That temptation to want to do something and the spirit within us fighting against it and saying, don't do that. And as Christians, we wake up every day in the midst of a war. Fleshly desires pull us in one direction and the desires of the spirit pull us in another. And as, and we, uh, and as we deal with this inward battle daily, we have the choice to keep in step with the spirit or walk in step with the flesh. And regardless of if it's the enemy that's speaking lies to you and, and doing the tempting or your own fleshly desires from within, both are trying to entice you and pull you towards sin. That's why we pray, Father, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because we've, we have internal temptations fighting against us and external temptations coming at us. That word evil in this verse is also translated as the evil one. Uh, if you have, I think it's the ESV version, you're going to have a footnote there that is referred to as the evil one. The evil one is referring to Satan, our adversary. It's referring to your enemy and your opponent who, by the way, wants to take you out. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Everlast, this is not a made-up fictional character. This isn't someone portrayed on a cartoon that's just chilling on your shoulder. He is real. He is the father of lies, the accuser, John 8, 48, John 8, 44. He is responsible for leading the world astray from the very beginning of mankind, Genesis 3, with the lies and the enticement to lure Adam and Eve into sin. He opposes all that God is and all that God does. And his primary goal is to blind the mind of unbelievers and to take down the faith of a believer. His desire is to ruin your view and relationship with God. And he does this in a lot of ways. But one way is to tempt the believer, to lead them astray. 
And Jesus says, you need to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep us far from the schemes of the enemy that I may not fall into his temptations. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another reason to pray in this context of us leading us far from the enticement of sin and the enemy is because this verse is considered a parallelism, which means this verse is saying the same thing in the front half as well as the back half. So, so hang in there with me, right? Don't tune this out. It, in the Bible, you have, you have what is known as a Hebrew parallelism, which means there are two or more lines of a Hebrew poem that correspond closely with one another in order to make a point, to reinforce each other. And synonymous parallelism involves the repetition in the second part of what has already been expressed in the first while simply verifying, uh, while simply varying the words. Meaning, this prayer has us asking God for the same thing in two different ways. Namely, that he would keep us from the full assault of the evil one. It's saying the same thing, but different wording. And so essentially, when we pray, lead us far from temptation and deliver us from the evil one, we are saying and praying this. God, keep me out of the path of sin and the devil's snares. Keep me far from sin. Keep me from the lure of sin. Keep the enemy far from me. God, don't allow me to even be near the enticement of sin. Keep me out of its path. Keep me out of situations that I can't bear the pull of sin. And at the end of the day, the heart behind this prayer is that God would keep us from sin and the enticement of it. It's praying, God, I know my heart. Uh, we just saying it. I know the war within. And I'm asking that you would deliver me from the desire to want to sin because, God, I don't want to be anywhere near it. It's acknowledging I need help. I hate sin. I hate what it does to me. And yet in moments, there is this desire and lure that pulls me in and draws me in. And I don't want to enter into it. I need help. Father, would you lead me far from the temptation of it and lead me far from the path of sin? And I think it's helpful to mention what the path of sin is because there is a path. It starts with temptation and it ends with sin. Temptation and sin are not the same thing. And sometimes we, we use those words interchangeably as if they mean the same thing and they don't. James 1, 14 through 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's a definition, right? If you want to know the difference between temptation and sin, it's this. Temptation is the desire to sin and sin is acting upon that desire. Temptation is the desire to sin, and sin is then therefore acting upon that desire. We see that here in James, uh, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation starts with a desire, whether produced by a thought, uh, as something that was seen or heard, or coming across something that entices you. 
there is the temptation, uh, there is temptation of the desire, and then there is sin which is acting on that desire. Sin is to gratify a fleshly desire. It is to complete, indulge, and fulfill that desire and to go where that desire wants to take you. There is a difference in temptation and sin. And honestly, a great example of this is found in 2 Samuel uh, 11 through 12 with the story of David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 2 through 3 says this. And I love this because even it's, it's like as it's, you're reading a story. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Now let's stop right here real quick. In that moment, no sin has been committed yet. Assuming David was on the roof minding his own business, David could have saw her, thought she's beautiful, and then gone back inside and said no to the lure of sin. But that's not what happened. Verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. The problem was that he sent and inquired about the woman. This is desire giving way to the temptation on the way to sin and death. And a lot of us know how the story ends. David ends up committing adultery with her. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up by sending her husband home from war uh, to, to lay with his wife. He declines to lay with her because he's loyal to his men who are at war. And so David sends him back and then sends a letter to the commanding officer to put him on the front line so that he would die. And he does. He dies. Temptation starts with a desire that is enti- then is enticed by that desire. And then when acted upon, gives birth to sin. And every single one of us will be tempted. We are all tempted. We have been tempted. We will be tempted. And we will continue to be tempted until we breathe our last breath here on earth. But we have the choice to act on our temptation or to say no to it. To ultimately say no to sin. Temptation is not a sin. In fact, Jesus, who never sinned, he lived a perfect life, was tempted. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. If you have your Bibles... I'm going to have you turn to just a couple chapters before, to Matthew chapter 4. Just a couple chapters over. And Matthew chapter 4 brings us to our second question. Question number two. How does Satan tempt us? And this is a, a really helpful context to the Lord's Prayer, specifically this verse in verse 13. And, and I want to hit on this passage because it shows, it specifically shows us three ways in which the enemy tempts Jesus And therefore, in the same way in which he tries to tempt us. And this is good awareness, right? In order to overcome temptation, we we have to know our opponent. Uh, This is a very common analogy. Kevin and I use it often, but it's so good. So it's just worth repeating. A UCF fighter or professional boxer 
Huh? UFC. Mm-hmm, that's what I said. <laughs> Would he go into the ring to fight his opponent without studying and knowing his opponent? He knows his moves, his weaknesses, right? He is proactive so that, listen, so that when he gets into the ring, when this boxer gets into the ring, he knows how to fight well. He doesn't go into the ring unprepared. That wouldn't be smart. Why? Because he would lose. It's the same analogy when it comes to Satan. Know your opponent. Know his moves. Know his weaknesses, know his lies, know his schemes, so you know how to be prepared to dodge them. And Matthew 4, 1 through 11 is like a playbook for us. It gives us insight to know and study the tactics of the enemy. First tactic, one tactic that the enemy will use to try and tempt you is through the enticement of pleasure. The enticement of pleasure. Read along with you, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And so Jesus is led out into the wilderness for 40 days. Naturally, he's going to get hungry. And so what does the devil do? Is he tries to tempt Jesus by targeting his hunger. Hey, Jesus, why don't you command these stones to become loaves of bread? You should be able to do that. You're the son of God, right? The enemy is trying to tempt him by using his hunger for immediate pleasure and satisfaction. Was it wrong for Jesus to be hungry? No. But what the enemy was doing was tempting him to do something that the father hadn't permitted him to do yet. God hadn't, led, hadn't yet led Jesus out of, the out of the wilderness, right? It still wasn't time for him to eat. And so what the enemy is doing is inviting Jesus to satisfy his hunger in the wrong way, not in accordance with or in obedience to God. And so let me just ask you, what are you hungry for? And I'm not saying like legit physical hunger. Like what is your soul hungry for? What is a pleasure that you desire? What's a longing that you have? Where that temptation is to speed up the process or to take matters into your own hands. Maybe you're hungry for success. Uh, maybe you are hungry for approval or you long to be acknowledged by a friend, a spouse, a, a coworker. Maybe you're hungry for love. You are tired of being alone. You want companionship. And to be loved in that same way by someone. Maybe you're hungry for peace, right? Your life lately has been just full of storms. Life has taken its toll and you just are like, can something just chill happen? And listen, it's not wrong to want or desire those things. The problem comes in for us when we seek to satisfy these hungers or pleasures in a sinful, idolatry, and unbiblical kind of way. And that is how Satan can tempt us. He invites us to experience these desires in a short-term, instant gratification kind of way. If we want success in an unbiblical way, we'll step on people. We'll cut corners. We'll tear others down to try and build us up to get to where we want to go. 
If we want to be acknowledged or have approval for someone, from someone, we can tend to conform and be someone that we aren't. We dress a certain way or post provocative pictures on the gram with suggesting clothing or lack thereof to try to get attention. That goes the same for relationships. We start to settle or we compromise our convictions. I mean, well, he or she really isn't a believer, but they're interested. They're, they're interested in me. He's cute. They're good looking. And we settle to get what we want. I heard it once said, short-term gratification when bred from sin is going to have long-term consequences. Satan will tempt you with what your soul longs for and your pleasure, the pleasure that you seek after. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8 here. And Jesus is saying, I don't need your food. God is my food. He is my pleasure. And he will sustain me. How will the enemy tempt you with pleasure? With instant gratification for what you hunger or for what you desire to have. Tactic number two. Tactic number two is through pride and justification of sin. Matthew 4, 5 through 6. Read along with me. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you were the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. He says, Throw yourself off. Throw yourself off. The angels will protect you. And listen, they're gonna, that's going to cause a spectacular event. You'll be famous. And notice Satan says again, if you are the son of God, right? He's tempting him even in that. Let, let me question your authority. Hey, prove yourself. He's tempting him with the lure of pride. And then secondly, it's interesting that Jesus quotes scripture to Satan and then immediately Satan quotes scripture back to him. He says, jump off the temple, throw yourself off. And if God is really a good father, according to his word, his angels will come and rescue you. But what he's doing is he's taking this text out of context and trying to manipulate the scripture to justify sin. And the enemy will use scripture to distort it, manipulate it, use it out of context to tempt you to sin. Ultimately convincing you to just justify your sin using the word of God. If you were here this past weekend, Nathan just preached this, this past Sunday. He was referring to Second uh, Peter and how pastors will take scripture, scripture and use it out of context for their own gain and personal beliefs. But we're tempted to do the same. If this ain't just for false prophets or teachers. It's us too. And maybe you're sitting here like, yeah, I don't do that, not me. But let me just ask this question. When you sin, are you truly grieved by it? Or do you have this mindset of, A, it's really not that big of a deal. Or B, God will forgive me anyway. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And sometimes we can read scripture like this and think, I know it's wrong. 
but God's grace covers. So I'm going to choose to say yes to sin in this moment anyway. Now, you may not say that out loud in the moment, but your continual actions reflect that. They reflect what you believe. And I think we can approach God's word this way. Right? I'm going to take what I like about the Bible and hold on to that part. And then I'm going to take what I don't like about the, about the Bible, and I'm not going to follow that part. And the enemy will lie to you and use God's word against you. And if you don't know God's word, you are not going to know what is being, if what is being said is true or not. And listen, the enemy is crafty. He's going to say things like, hey, 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 hey. His word doesn't actually say. Like specifically say, you can't do this or that. It doesn't have like those exact words in there. So you're good. And yet the Bible says, hey, as a follower of Christ, you need to live above reproach. First John, 7, First John 1, 7 through 10. You should even abstain from the appearance of evil. Even if you're not doing evil, you should abstain from the appearance of it. First Thessalonians 5, 22. The enemy will speak lies and try to lure you into sin by saying God's word doesn't really say that. That's not really what it means. And, what, and, so, and so with that being said, what does Jesus say back to Satan? Verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The enemy tempts us through pride and tempting us to justify our sin through the word. Lastly, number three, Satan's tactic is to tempt us with power. Verses eight and nine. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And so Satan takes Jesus to a place where he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, all of this can be yours. Hey, there's no need for you to go to the cross. There's no need for you to suffer. You, you can have it all. It can be yours right now. All you have to do is worship me. If you'll just bow down to me, I'll make sure that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess your lordship. And it's the same with us. Satan will use this temptation for power by appealing to our eyes. Hey, I know you want that. Go get it. You do you. Everyone else is doing it. Go for it. What happens is, when he reveals that appeal to our eyes, we are tempted to believe this mindset of power of, I'm in charge, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to spend what I'm going to spend. It's my money. I own it. And we think we have this power and therefore ignore the one who is in power and in charge. You're not in control, God. I'm in control. I'm going to do relationships how I want to do relationships. If I want to go there, I'm going to go there. And with this power, we essentially enter into this mindset of, I don't exist for you. You exist for me. I don't need you. I've got everything I need. Rules? No thanks. If I'm in charge and got the power, I don't need to follow anyone else's authority or rule. And he appeals to this power. Look at the people in a power position. Political power, pastoral power, executive or CEOs in powerful positions. What do they do with that power? Some great, some not so great. 
Let me ask you this. What would you do with that kind of influence and power? Satan wants to use that enticement of power in a negative way to lure you away from the one who is all-powerful. Satan's ultimate goal is to steal from God. He wants his own glory and his own fame. And he will do that by tempting you with you feeling the need for power. And so Jesus responds in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The enemy will tempt you with pleasure, pride, justification of sin, and power. But the good news is we can resist him. We have a choice to say no to temptation, to say no to sin. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Everlast, the devil will flee. You have to just stand your ground. And listen, it's not your own doing. That is the Holy Spirit within you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to. To endure it. You can endure temptation. God promises to not let you be so tempted that it's beyond your ability to say no. If we hold fast, the enemy will flee. Which leads to our last point for tonight. And I'm going to go through these rather quickly, but I want to end with practically. If we know what temptation is, We know we have internal temptation fighting against us and external temptation coming at us. How do we fight it? How do we fight temptation? Five things. One is by knowing the word of God. Jesus was able to overcome temptation with the enemy by knowing the word to therefore use the word of God against him. And we already talked about this. But the enemy knows the word, so you need to know it all the more. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The way we fight against temptation is by knowing the word and proclaiming it. And listen, in those moments when you start proclaiming, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me, who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. Y'all, there is power in his word. Start quoting scripture next time you're tempted. Jesus will strengthen you and he will provide a way out for you. Number one, know the word of God. Number two, pray and watch. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This verse is right before Jesus is arrested and is about to be crucified. And he's pleading with the Father to take this cup from him. 
He's in agony, knowing what he's about to face and endure. And Jesus speaks to his disciples. He goes to his disciples and instructs, and instructs them to watch and pray so that they wouldn't enter into temptation. And what do they do? They fall asleep. And Jesus says, hey, now is not the time to fall asleep. You need to be up watching and praying. And everlasting, there are moments where temptation is going to be stronger and entices you more than maybe it did the day before. And you need to be prayed up, watchful, aware, and awake of the attacks of the enemy. We need to be praying that God would continue to keep us from temptation, but also that God would reveal our sinfulness. That that God would show us what we are doing and why we are doing it. So that we would repent and turn away from our sin. We watch and pray. Number three, we are to flee. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, 2 Timothy 2.22. I was on a hike years ago. It was super dark. Uh, We went during the day, but then it got dark at night. We messed up, and uh, we couldn't see anything where we were going. Okay, and we're high up. We've got another like hour before we get down to the street. And uh, I start to get a little nervous, right? Because uh, I'm new-ish at the time to Colorado and I'm just like bears, right? That, that all my, that's all my thought process is thinking. And just all other kind of animals, right? And so uh, <laughs> it's super quiet. And then all of a sudden we start hearing some rustling coming our way. And we couldn't see what it was. And let me tell you something. I let—I mean, I took off sprinting. Left the girl who was behind me. I didn't care. Every man for themselves. Something's going to get me, eat me. And I, I don't want to be there lunch or dinner. So I'm off. I am fleeing, running towards the end. I don't, can't even see where I'm going. And uh, it actually ended up being this guy behind us who was lost as well. And he, like, apologized after. But listen, I'm like, I'm not taking any chances. Right, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to be obliterated or destroyed. And listen, we need to somewhat have that same mindset. Danger is approaching and I need to run. I need to get out of here. Sin is approaching. That is danger. I have to flee. Everlast, what are you running towards and what should you be fleeing from? Because if you're running towards sin, you are running in the wrong direction. You need to be fleeing in the other direction. You see temptations, you see temptations, see ya. We flee. Number four, we need community and accountability. We need friends to fight sin. James 5:16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Oftentimes, we read that verse in the physical context, like for physical healing. But it's also referring to spiritual healing as well. Everlast, do you have people fighting with you? Do, Do you have people holding you accountable? Are you confessing sin to a brother or sister in Christ? Or are you hiding sin? Are you keeping it in the dark? We need the body of Christ. We need people we trust who will love us, come alongside us, pray with us, encourage us, and be proactive with us. 
And let me encourage you, if you have unconfessed sin tonight, you need to confess that before the Lord, but you need to confess that with a brother or sister in Christ. And let me just say this, if you don't have anyone, you're like, hey, I came here tonight because someone invited me from the gym. Like, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know people who know Jesus. You don't have friends who know Jesus. Listen, we have leaders here and people here who would love to walk alongside you and pray for you. But also we have life groups. This is a a shameless life group plug. Listen, our life groups are amazing. Our life group spent last week breaking off into groups of two and confessing sin. And some of you are like, yeah, don't want to go to that. (laughs) But listen, (laughs) it was powerful. And, and, and there's trust and community that's already built there. It's a safe place. You need community to fight sin. And if you don't have it, let me encourage you, pursue life groups. It's a helpful thing that we have here at Everlast. Lastly, number five, be proactive. Develop a plan. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 13, 14. Make no provision for the flesh. Meaning make no room to put yourself in situations where you know you're going to be tempted. Don't make room and create space for sinful desires to be awakened or pursued and then gratified. You need to be proactive. Boundaries are a great and good thing. Kevin and I use this uh, analogy often in, in counseling couples, and we usually do this with like a pen and a paper, but if you could just imagine for me a line, and on the other side of that line is sin. And if you're striving for holiness, if, if you're wanting to put sin to death, then you should keep as much distance as possible from that line. You don't need to be anywhere close to that line. You don't need to be teetering over it. How far can I go? What's too close without sinning? If you are truly seeking the things that are above, then you shouldn't be anywhere close to that line. Being proactive is being as far away as possible from that temptation to want to sin. Now, let me say this. Will boundaries in and of themselves keep you from sin? Nope. They will not. That's why the beginning of this verse says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who transforms our hearts. Jesus is the one who satisfies the soul. He is the one who makes us new and changes our heart's desire. Boundaries is just another block to help put in place. Boundaries are meaningless if you aren't truly seeking Jesus in the heart of God. If you aren't truly wanting him to change you. But if you are wholeheartedly seeking after Jesus, wanting to do anything and everything to fight sin for him to change your heart, then yes, by all means, boundaries are necessary and a great tool to help fight sin. Be proactive. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be ready to run. Be in community. Be about Jesus. And let me just say this quickly too. If you're sitting here tonight, and maybe you feel a little beat up from this message, Maybe for you, uh, you've been enthralled in sin. Temptation comes your way and there is no deliberating. You're going for it. 
You, you may even say to yourself, men, like, I'm, I'm actually truly addicted. And I need help. Jesus is what you need. And if you are not a believer in the room, the best news you can hear tonight is this. That he loves you. And he came to make a way for you. By dying on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Taking on the full wrath of God. And he wants to extend that grace and mercy to you. He wants a relationship with you. And not only did he die, he died he, for your sins. He rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. Meaning, for those who place their faith in Jesus, sin does not have a hold on you anymore. He won the victory. The Holy Spirit will then come into your life and he will radically change you. And if you are a believer in the room tonight, And the temptation is just very real right now. Know that you have the power of the Holy Spirit residing within you for you to say no. God will always provide a way out. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation. God, deliver us from evil. We are praying that God would keep us far from sin. That that he would help us in our fight towards sin. That he would keep us from the path of sin and the enticement towards it. The heart behind this prayer is, I don't want to sin. I hate it. And God, I need your help to keep me and to rescue me from it. And so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let's pray.